Well, this is a really interesting text that I have acquired to teach this morning. Um, because it, it really is a section of the scriptures that the evangelical church has struggled to apply accurately for these past 2,000 years. And um, it deeply divides evangelicalism, uh, the ability to come to terms with an agreement on what is actually being taught here. And uh, the particular um, section is, of course, uh, one that tends to divide what we call in evangelicalism charismatics versus non-charismatics. And uh, at one time, of course, uh, being a Baptist pastor standing in front of a Baptist congregation, this would kind of be a can of corn uh, text. You would just deliver it and everyone would uh, rubber stamp the details and we'd all go home and be happy and have lunch. But our congregations today, in particular a congregation like this, is very eclectic evangelically. Um, in fact, probably, tr in truth, the Baptists here are outnumbered by the other evangelicals who've joined us. In fact, I think I took a poll a couple of years ago and asked, you know, who are the nursery-born, blue-blood Baptists, you know, to the core, like me? Um, and we had a show of hands, and I think we were in the range of one-third. So, you know, duck and hide and cover, Baptists, because we're outnumbered in our own church. Um, and we welcome you. We, we love you. We thank you that you're here. And we hope that we're still all in love by the time the sermon is over this morning when we talk about these things. I want to remind you that I, I spoke to you about a more excellent way last week, which, which was the way of loving each other. And that isn't just a one-week phenomenon. We're supposed to continue to love one another. So you have to love me today after I've preached too. And I'll promise to love you. But it is a, it is a section of Scripture. Um, in particular, um, the exercise, you know, we have to put this into some sort of context because it was written to a particular church in a particular time, a particular group of people called the Corinthians. And uh, the applications for us, there are applications for us, but some of them have to be uh, put through the grid of that context. And, of course, you need to remember that the Corinthians were among the very first and earliest of all believers. Um, coming, many of them coming out of Judaism, many of them coming out of, uh, of pagan religions. Uh, the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures were in their infancy. In fact, it's highly unlikely that the Corinthians had anything besides the Old Testament. Uh, the first Corinthians was among the very first of the New Testament uh, records. Uh, there may have been Thessalonians, but how widely circulated that was is, you know, unlikely in terms of Corinth. And there may have been the Gospel of Mark, but the other Gospels certainly weren't written yet. So much of what was being delivered was on the basis of Old Testament theology, the coming of Messiah, the word of testimony of those who had met Christ, who were testifying to each other about what Christ had done in their lives and how that matched the theology of the Old Testament, how it was a fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. And they were working it as they went along, as the Spirit of God moved them. The other con contextual reality is they weren't generally in a giant gathering like this. They were meeting in small house churches. They'd come together, but most of their gatherings were in small house gatherings which is a very different setting as well than kind of the formalized way that we're, we've come together this morning. And, and, and it just so happened that in Corinth, they were particularly enthusiastic about the spiritual manifestation of tongues. And in this particular um, section of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is going to set the record straight on how the Holy Spirit intends to utilize this spiritual manifestation 
called tongues. Some of you have maybe never heard of such a thing. Uh, we're going to read of it. I'm going to try to define it. But in this section, he pits tongues versus prophecy in terms of the value of public worship. And by the way, one more thing to set the context, and that is this, that what he's talking about here is our public gathering. These are instructions for when we come together publicly. This is not a description of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in private. In fact, he makes the distinction here about you may have things going on in private that are highly um, useful and valuable and scriptural and all of that, but when you come together publicly, there are certain structures that help everybody and, and ensure that the, the spirit of God, God's work among you is of great value to everyone. So with that kind of as our setting this morning, um, I, I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, we're going to look at managing what we say in church, managing, in other words, the verbiage when we share what comes out of our mouth in the public setting, what are the rules? That's what we're looking at. Uh, we have to, we're learning, if you remember, to live in Christian community. And these are further instructions about how it is. And um, we can get very touchy about this stuff. It's like I said, we've been deeply divided in evangelical circles for some time. Some are still exaggerating um, the whole matter of tongues and the value of tongues in public setting uh, to an extreme. Others are choosing to make the solution the very thing that Paul says, don't do. He says, don't forbid the speaking in tongues. And so these two extremes are not what 1 Corinthians 14 lays out for us. So he starts off this way, and I want to make sure, uh, again, we set the, uh, the record straight. Paul says, follow the way of love, which he's already defined as what we talked about last week in the chapter before as a, most, a more excellent way. So can I read it to you that way? He's, he's saying, by command... Follow the most excellent way. That sets the tone for everything else we're going to say about how, we, how the context must be that we love each other. And then he uses the word and, which gives the connotation in original, original grammar as a secondary aim. The first and primary aim is to follow the most excellent way. The secondary aim is that you would eagerly desire spiritual assets or things. If your, word, if your translation says gifts, it's just not there. It's talking about spiritual things, all the different variety of things that the Spirit might give you, which might be temporarily given to you or permanently given to you. It might come and go. That's, it's spiritual assets. Especially, and the gift of does not appear in the original language, especially prophecy. So it really says, follow the way of love, eagerly desire spiritual things, especially prophecy. That's what it says. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries in his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you? unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel at what builds up the church. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in, a tongue, in tongues, and some who do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare so he will fall down and worship God exclaiming, God is really among you. What then shall we say, brothers? When you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anybody thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. If he ignores this, he himself will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Well, this is the word of the Lord. So let's pray. Our Father, we have before us a text whereby you want to set the record straight about how you want the affairs of our, our verbiage to be taken care of in the church. And I pray, O oh God, that we might not visit the extremes where your scriptures do not go, but that we might find ourselves directly responding to what you have given to us and that our hearts may be inclined to obey and respond and uh, apply um, where we have erred. I pray, Father, that you would correct us and bring us back to the truth uh, where, we are, um, not to, where we are ignoring things. I pray that it would cap captivate our attention, that we might not be ignored. And I pray, O oh God, that in everything, uh, that the church of Jesus Christ might be built up and Jesus himself might be glorified and honored among us uh, for uh, your glory's sake, I pray, O oh Lord. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So um, just by way of a couple of quick definitions so that we make sure that we're all on the same uh, page together. Maybe some of you have never uh, heard of tongues or prophecy. You're not sure exactly what we're talking about. And um, the issue of prophecy, of course, uh, keep in mind again because of the setting here. Uh, it, uh, uh, 
holds forth a, a, a slightly different reality than prophecy right now. We didn't have then the completed canon of Scripture. We now have the completed canon of Scripture. So prophecy then, of course, was uh, a, um, the, as, as the Spirit of God moved to holy men of God to proclaim forth uh, words of theology that were the very Word of God and were inspired by God. And uh, uh, those uh, were uh, ultimately recorded for us and uh, many of them or most of them were recorded for us and we have before us a completed instruction and, and the Word of God. Uh, tongues uh, were an uh, utterance that, uh, of, um, of uh, language or simple or words that were put together that were either human language or a language that only God understood. It seems to me there were two different kinds of things that are going on in the scriptures. We know that when they came together in the upper room, when the Spirit of God was poured upon them, they were speaking human languages because other people could understand in their language the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also know in this text that Paul is talking about some sort of secret relationship that people might have or private relationship that people might have with the living God speaking a language that only God understands. And some of the early church and following through in the church of the ages has talked about the angelic language, not a human language. And so we have two things going on, but what we have particularly here is a, de a definition and description of what should be going on in the public gathering of the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you very quickly in terms of exercising our spiritual assets and community, what are the instructions that come out of here? And there's three major criterion that I want us to really lock and load on this morning. And the first of these is this, that in the matter of church community life, spiritual assets are for the strengthening, encouraging, and comforting building up of the people of God. Verse 3 of this first section, first five verses, he really lands here as the key issue that sets the pace for all the other places that we're going to go in this particular text. And he sets tongues and prophecy against one another in the definition of this in terms of the public gathering. I want to continue to repeat myself over and over again, perhaps at nauseum, in the public setting, in the public setting, in the public gathering. When we are together like this, okay, because I don't want you to be, uh, to be misinformed, and this is what Paul is talking about. In our gathering, fundamentally, we are here together to represent the truth of Jesus Christ and to build each other up. That's why we gather. That's what he sets you. He says in verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who speaks prophecy edifies the church. Edify meaning build up, build up the church, exhorting the church. It is necessary uh, for us when we come together not to be building ourselves up, but to be building one another up. Uh, the word exhorting uh, it really means that, that we are to, um, to, uh, um, to, to move each other from sluggishness, the uh, spiritual sluggishness. That's what exhortation is all about. We're to come together and say, come on, let's get going for the Lord. Come on, you can do it. The Lord is good to you. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will help you. We sing this to each other. We pray this to each other. We proclaim this to each other. We sit beside each other. We talk to each other. We are to gather together and encourage each other, strengthen each other. I know it's been a tough week, but come on, you can keep going. You know the Lord will strengthen you. I think Pastor Nick, he, he included that in his prayer this morning. And, and, or in your reading this morning, you know, and, and the whole idea is, is coming together and so that you leave here no longer sluggish spiritually, but invigorated spiritually. Remember, we're abundantly alive people. Christ has given us life and given it to us in, in abundance, and so we want to gather together and to do that. And then, of course, we comfort each other. The idea is that you shouldn't leave here sad. You should leave here comforted. You should leave here encouraged. You should leave here, here, here uh, uh, more emotionally uplifted and better than you arrived because the, the week has been tough. People have been nasty to you. People have been hard on you. And we gather together and we don't need to be the people who are making it harder for each other. We come here together and say, hey, come on. I, I understand, brother. Let me pray for you. I, I, I'll pray for you this week. I'll, I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll, I'll, I'll be there for you. I'll encourage you. If you come in here with sin in your heart, 
then we're to, we're to know that, that there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we're to receive forgiveness. And our heads are to be lifted up as we leave. No longer are our hearts to be heavy burden laden, but rather we lift up our hearts because Jesus Christ has forgiven us. And we, lift here, we leave here knowing we're forgiven and, and loved by Jesus Christ. So we don't leave here sad. We leave here with joy in our hearts. The joy of our salvation returns to us as we gather together. That's what we're talking about. That's what Paul's talking about here. And we have to be able to communicate with each other to get this across. This is why he talks about how important it is. And he says that if you speak in tongues, you're just speaking maybe mysteries in your spirit. We're, we're not here to trade mysteries with each other. You know, it's no good for you to leave here this morning and say, I, had, I don't have a clue what Rick was saying. Like, it, the whole thing was a mystery to me. Or, or what other people talking, it was a big mystery here. The whole of church today was just a big mystery. No, that's not the purpose of our gathering here. The purpose of our gathering here is that we might know what the Lord has said and what the Lord wants of our lives. Keep in mind that the speaking of tongues is not a Christian phenomenon only. This is the danger of the whole matter is that the mystery religions, as they were called, that were very much in play then, were also speaking in ways that people couldn't understand. And so it was necessary to determine what is the message of God versus what is the message of, of those who are following paganism. And so the, the, if there's an uncertain sound, if it's, if it's something that people can't understand, none of us can be sure exactly where it is coming from. Paul says, unless there is interpretation and someone clearly spells out what the Spirit of God has led someone to say. And of course, it, it is laid out for us here in the text. So the first and important criterion is, in the matter of community life, it's about strengthening, encouraging, comforting, building one another up. The second um, stress here for criterion is found in, the ver in verses 6 through 25 in this long section, and I will summarize it this way by saying the second criterion is this, the message must be clear. Understanding of God is always more important than the amazement at the miracles that go on around us. The understanding of God is of critical importance to us. In the case of prophecy versus tongues, tongues have no public value unless they're interpreted. And in this, the ability of prophecy is greater, Paul says. A revelation, knowledge, prophecy, word of instruction versus unintelligible uh, babble into the air, he says. The contrast is obvious. The message must be clear. And then he starts and he sets out some illustrations so that it will drive it into our minds and we understand what he's talking about. He says, even in the case of lifeless things like musical instruments, how will anyone know what the tune is being played, what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes? Now, um, what tune was I playing? Now, okay, thank you. It was nothing, really. Um, what song was I playing? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. I played the same song twice. But in the absence of distinction in notes, the message is unclear to you. This is what Paul is saying. He says, even in lifeless instruments, a, a, a tune can, be, can, can speak a message, but it doesn't mean that something amazing is going on. It's just the clarity with which it's presented helps all of us to know what is going on. Then he says about trumpets in verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? A serious times call for clarity and messaging, whether it's advance or retreat. Those two things are quite different, aren't they? Should we advance or should we retreat? 
Those are critically different matters. And, and so he continues to give illustrations. Then he talks about languages. He's undoubtedly, there's lots of different languages in the world. Right? Doesn't he say that in verse 10? Undoubtedly, there's lots of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. There are words, and words mean something. If you're going to use words, meaning matters. Value of an, an intelligible words is the transfer one to the other of meaning. So, in summary statement, having people understand God's truth is above any personal experiences you may have as it relates to the gathering publicly of the people of God. Otherwise, you remain foreigners to each other. We're not to be foreigners, he says to each other. We're to come in here and be brothers and sisters who understand each other. We understand the point that we're making. We understand the, 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 uh, the encouragement that we're trying to bring, the comfort that we're trying to bring, the word of instruction that we're trying to bring. That, that makes us not foreigners of one another, but brothers and sisters of one another. And that's how we are to be in the gathering, the public gathering of church. He says here as well that, that in this whole section, he says, it's important for my mind to engage, that I might know what I'm singing, that I might know what I'm praying, and that others might know what I'm singing, that others might know what I'm praying. This is critically important. He says, because I, I may be praising God, but if people don't know that I'm praising God, how will they be able to say amen to what I am saying? Tongues have no public value unless they're interpreted because others are alienated from the message. We strive to always engage our mind. Now listen, this is so vitally important here. This word amen that is used here, uh, we're going to talk more about the, the importance of this, but the gathering of God's people. When we are, whether we're praying or whether we're singing or whether uh, I'm proclaiming the truth or whoever else here is proclaiming the truth, uh, to you or in your Sunday school classes or wherever you might be, the, the proclaiming of the truth, uh, this word anchors all of us to affirming whether or not what is being said is of God. And the word amen is used throughout the scriptures as a, as a uh, vital link to say, this is certainly true. It is the utterance of the Christian community. Now, it's a Hebrew word, of course, which really should be stated as amen, is how the Hebrews would say it, and the Muslims say it amen, and uh, depending on who you are, potato, potato, you say amen or amen. But amen, or amen, or however we say it is, this is certainly true. And in the scriptures, of course, in, the, in 2 Corinthians, where it talks there about that Jesus Christ, that all the promises of God are yes in Christ, that really is all the promises of God are amen in Christ. And this word amen is used with a, in a profound way to allow the Spirit of God to affirm the truth in the public gathering. It's of vital importance to us that is quite muted in your average Baptist church. Um, a, few, a number of years ago, uh, not in this city, but when I was in Chatham, uh, I was invited to a celebration, a Sunday celebration, a Sunday afternoon celebration, actually, in an African-American church in Chatham. Now, for those of you who know anything about the geography of Ontario, the, that area of the country, South Buxton area, Chatham, uh, all of that, is the end of the uh, Underground Railroad where um, African-Americans escaped from the United States into Canada to freedom and huge settlement there of, of uh, generations of African-Americans. So anyway, I was invited, and, and the first, by the way, it's called the First Baptist Church of Chatham is African-American in Chatham because, you know, you go to most other cities in Ontario, the First Baptist Church is whitey-whitey. But you go to Chatham, the First Baptist Church is African-American. So I was invited to this celebration. I was the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Chatham, a whitey church, and I was invited to go to the African-American church. So I went, and, and of course, I thought the invitation was come and sit in the back pew like all Baptists do. And uh, so I did. I did my thing. I came in and sat in the Baptist pew. And uh, for some reason, they noticed me. <laughs> and uh, so quickly, I was... Uh, I was uh, um, conversed with, and, and, and they found out I was Pastor Rick Baker from Emmanuel. I said, oh, 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 you must come to the platform. 
and sit in the platform. And so they escorted me up. You, you, you don't go to an African-American church as a pastor and sit like in the pew. You were up on the platform. So I, I went to the platform and did what I was told and I sat on the platform. What I didn't know is I wasn't just invited to uh, this because when I showed up, now I was going to be invited to speak. I, I didn't know this. And they said, well, now, now Pastor Rick Baker from Emmanuel Baptist Church is going to come and bring us some words from God. I was like, I am? And of course... I didn't get the memo, and of course, you know, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You should always be ready in season and out of season to speak for the Lord, and African Americans take that very literally, and so uh, I got up there to speak, and I started speaking. I had nothing prepared, but the beauty of our brothers and sisters from African American churches, you don't need something prepared because they have something prepared. Their hearts are already prepared, and they're going to help you preach. All you have to do is open up your mouth, and it's going to start to be a major sermon because you're going to start to hear, amen, come on, well, now you're stepping, brother, now you're stepping, and I mean, that kind of stuff, when that stuff starts happening to me, I just get all fired up. I didn't need a sermon. I just started proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, and then a sister would say something. I'd be, yes, yeah, sister, that's true. And we just keep going, you know, and, and so... The beauty of an African-American church is this give and take of the real work of the Holy Spirit who's, who's at work in all of the people. And so it's like one kind of one organism the way it should be, uh, the body is, is affirming the greatness of Jesus Christ one with the other, encouraging, strengthening, cheering for um, helping the preacher preach. Like, you don't help me very much. I, I, I'm, I'm left here alone. I'm, I'm left here alone, aren't I, sister? I'm left here alone. I, I'm up here twisting all the time. I say stuff and I'm thinking, I don't know if they believe it or they don't believe it because they're just looking at me. And, and the truth the scriptures are saying to us, and we're to gather, when we gather in our gatherings, we're to let each other know what's true and what's right and what's meaningful and what, what, uh, what challenges our heart and what lifts our hearts and lifts them up. And we praise God together. And so this affirmation of amen should be something that resonates out of us a lot. When someone says something that is true of God, we should affirm it and, and amen it and be excited about it. <laughs> See, you're not... African-Americans can teach us how to not, not to be whitey whites. Because whitey whites don't... Uh, we don't know how to worship like they do. And uh, I, I love that uh, gathering and that give and take. And so Paul talks here about how will we know to say amen unless we know what each other is saying. And then he says, after all, don't you realize that tongues are, are not so much a cause for ecstatic um, celebration as a reminder or a sign to unbelievers that the rejection of truth has condemned them to not understand. This is an amazing statement that Paul makes out of Isaiah chapter 28. He sources what he is saying in the Old Testament and says, do you not realize that Unlike the, the flurry of activity that you love about tongues and, and, and speaking and all, like, in tongues, do you not realize that this is really an, an indictment, a sign of, uh, of, of, uh, of a, um, a sign of, of Christ's um, condemnation of those who do not follow the word of God to the point where... Um, they will no longer even be able to understand what is said. And, and so th this, this is to remind the Jews who've rejected Christ. Oh, yeah. The truths of God have been taken from us and have been given to people whose languages we don't even understand. And as Isaiah 28 the verses that he's quoting here from, Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, verse 10 right before and verse 13 right after in the Hebrew are, are this, sav la sav, sav la sav, kav la kav, kav la kav. It, it says do and do, do and do, uh, rule on rule, rule on rule. In other words, the way he even, when he frames it in that particular text, it's as if this kind of babble sound that you're going, that you're going with, that's an indictment. It's not a celebration. 
which really sobers them. And, and then he goes on to say, the truth is tongues are not a tool of evangelism. Because if someone comes into your midst and they don't know what you're saying, how will their hearts be convicted? How will they know they have sin in their lives? How will they be able to say God is really among you? It's as if, it's as if God was... It's as if you were reading my mail. It's as if you were reading my emails. It's as if you were with me all week long. I've had that many times. I'm sure any of you who've preached have had that many times when people come up to you and say, how did you know? How did you know about my life? It's not me who knows about your life. It's God who knows about your life. And so people testify when they hear the truth and when they hear something that's boring deeply into their hearts, they say, how could he know about this? How could he know what my week was like? How could he know what I needed to hear? I don't know what you need to hear. I don't know what your week was like, but God does. And that brings to a bear, to, to our reminder, God is really among us when we hear the things we need to hear. So prophecy is intelligible and convicting and is what God uses to bring people from unbelief to belief or from far away back on track. Those coming to faith are convicted those sloppy in their faith have their hearts laid bare. And then there's repentance, recognition of, of the greatness of God. And, and, and Paul makes the point here that, that there's really no place for ecstatic babbling that is out of mind. He talks about it's, it should be in your mind even if you're in private with God. The ecstatic utterances that are uh, mindless are no are no uh, parallel or are, no, are not the definition of tongues that he's talking about here. Mysterious musings or motivational psychobabble are really of no value to the church in any era. There's a third and major criterion here that I want to uh, really spend our time with application this morning. And that is this, the rest of the verses 26 down to the end. In the public worship setting, the messaging must be dynamically structured and verifiably accurate. Dynamically structured and verifiably accurate. The primitive church, which we'll call it, the, orig the, the uh, early stages of the church, as I've already told you in this setting, did not have the completed word of God. But here's what they did have. They, they established for us, I think, the pattern that God wants us to use in every generation of how we should worship together in a structured and dynamic way that is scripturally accurate. I'm going to give you four major uh, uh, forms that come out of this text, and then I'm going to apply them to us. And the first is this. He says in verse 26, when you come together... Um, Everyone has a, a hymn, which is the word psalm there, or a, a word of instruction, which is the word like doctrine, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. The first is this. The primitive church culturally was highly participatory. And, and why wouldn't it be? They gathered together in, in small settings, in small house churches, Occasionally, they came together in big gatherings like this. But as we've moved down through the ages, more and more of our churches look like this, where we gather together in more public and formal ways. The early church was highly participatory. I'm going to come back to that in terms of application. I just want to establish that in terms of our, our pattern. Secondly, the early, the primitive church was highly spontaneous. Highly spontaneous. Evidently, when they came together... They were exuberant and excited about what the Lord was doing and, and they shared with each other and they, uh, they shared testimonies with each other and some people were, at times, the Spirit of God would rest upon them and bring them a special theological awareness that they shared with one another and that's what they did when they gathered together. It was highly spontaneous. But it was also, thirdly, highly structured and orderly. You read in this section, it says God is not a God of disorder. It was structured, ordered, planned, purposeful. Participation was purposeful. Understanding was critical. Intelligibility was important. Fourthly, it was highly scrutinized. It says there that the, um, the prof uh, the, whatever prophets spoke... They were on, under the control of the prophets. So others who were there, who were theologically astute, were expected to judge them. In fact, 
the whole congregation. It says you will be, it will be discerned by all. All will discern what is being said. So, and, and not only that, it was under the control of the prophets in the sense that it was controlled by the scriptures that already were available. The Old Testament scriptures were available to them. The theology of God, who God was, the promises of God, the coming of Messiah, all of those things were, were uh, subject to the scrutiny of what is already recorded. So you've got these four things going on. Highly participatory, highly spontaneous, highly structured and orderly, highly scrutinized. How can we make sure, make certain that in the present church, we are paying attention to the structures of the primitive church? Well, in the, in the matter of highly participatory, it is absolutely important for us to make sure that we establish in a ministry like this multiple ministry stations for maximum participation. In a formalized church like ours, it is absolutely critical and crucial that there are smaller settings in order for all of us to participate and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, for all of us to be able to come together and to share uh, what God has done, to share how we understand the scriptures, to ask questions about the scriptures, to build one another up. It is critical for that. Uh, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Uh, if, if this is all you do, if, if you just come and sit and, and, and you don't say amen in church and you don't participate in anything, you don't sing any songs and you don't offer anything in offering, I mean, you're, you're not really engaged in Christianity. The, the, gather, the reality of Christianity is that we are all... We all have the Spirit of God. We're on an equal level. We're on an equal playing field with having the Spirit of God. Therefore, we all have a contribution to the body of Christ. And we have to find ways to contribute, to be involved in the contribution of edifying and building up the church. That's why we consider our discipling communities ministry on Sunday nights absolutely vital for growth or whatever other night that you can be a part of something like that. This is not going to be enough in terms of spiritual health because the early church was very participatory. It's expected that they would be. We have to make sure that we make room for the Holy Spirit. Highly spontaneous. Uh, we, we need to find ways to do that. Uh, the, the, this room, this time, this place, it all belongs to the Lord. But we are so stingy with what we want to give to the Lord. And part of that is the reality of formalizing a, a structured worship gathering. And there's nothing wrong with formalizing as long as we find other ways. As long as we make sure that we don't shut the Holy Spirit out. As long as we know that the Holy Spirit has the right to take over this service. Because it belongs to Him. It doesn't belong to us. And we are so busy looking at the clock. And in a few, you know, eight minutes, kids are going to come running up. And they're going to be looking for their parents. And I get all of that. I think we all get all of that. And, and we struggle with that. But we have to make sure that we are participating all the time during a worship service with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives as we gather corporately. We need to join together in the praying that's going on. We need to join together in this in what's happening in the this, in, in this singing. We need to join together in the proclamation. This can't be all one way. This, this must be a two-way reality. We must make sure that the Spirit of God is growing in our lives and, and, and moving us in our hearts. And it's so easy to become spiritually passive in life. So easily. You don't have to do anything. Just let your life get passive. And bit by bit, the Spirit of God will become less and less vital in your life. Listen, I'm all amped up about the Holy Spirit today. I've been with the Spirit of God. I've prepared this stuff. I stay with the, with, with the Lord and, 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 and work my way through these kinds of things. I, I'm encouraging you. I'm exhorting you that in a gathering like this, make sure that you're at the front of the line in terms of participating in prayers, saying, Amen, yes, Lord, please do this. I want the prayers that are said in the church to be answered in the life of the church. I want the proclamation and preaching that's going on to be true and applied to the church. Oh, God, do it. Make it happen. I want to be that kind of person who's fully engaged in the songs that we sing. Oh, yes, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for what you're doing. I was looking around today. It bothers me. It really bothers me to see people just standing there and not singing the songs. You may, you may not be able to carry a tune in a bucket. You may be offending someone beside you by, by how badly you sing, but you could at least move your lips to the words. 
to actually testify. Listen, we're singing an I believe song this morning. Now, you either don't believe it or you do believe it. Now, I'm making room for the possibilities that there are people here this morning who don't believe it. And as I was looking around, if I didn't see your lips moving, in my mind, I feel you don't believe this. You're lost. I'm praying in my mind for you. But those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ should speak boldly, should sing proudly, should pray with all of their hearts, should amen from the bottom of depths of their, of their lungs. We should be participating if the Spirit of God is participating in our lives. Can I get an amen? And I'm telling you, that when you do, the Spirit of God is no longer passive in your life, but alive and active and equipping you and preparing you for the week that you have ahead of you. We're to retain ordered structure, planning, and purpose. Poor planning is not a good worship service. You know, the Bible speaks everywhere of God who leads us beside still waters. He takes us in paths of righteousness for his great namesake. He leads us into green pastures. God, our God's a planning God. Our God's a purposeful God. Our God's an intentional God. We have to be intentionally spiritual ourselves. We have to intentionally plan worship. We have to intentionally plan in our families, in our setting of, of the worship of God. We have to intentionally plan to pray. We have to intentionally plan to sing. We have to intentionally plan to read God's word. We have to intentionally plan to speak to one another, encourage one another, and comfort one another. Everything's planning and purpose. In this spontaneity of the Spirit of God moving my life, it's within the context of planning and purpose and intention. Our God's not a God of disorder. Our God is a God who brings chaotic things into order. Now, the canon of Scripture is complete, but the teacher competency is critical. And so it says here, if you're going to speak in tongues, two at the most, maybe three, but there has to be interpreter because if people aren't understanding what you're saying, it's of no value in the public setting. If you're going to prophesy two or at the most three, how would you like three preachers on a Sunday morning? Two or at the most three? At the most three, that's all you could take. <laughs> right? It's structure, it's order, it's, it's all of that. Clarity is critical. And then he says, and... In all the congregations, women should remain silent in the churches. You, you know, you were thinking, you know, you're doing really well until you got to that. <laughs> you were on a roll. And I was like, why couldn't Paul just have stopped writing when, you know, but he, he didn't. He kept writing. Listen, here, here's the thing. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here because I think, I think we all get it and we all know what he's talking about here. This was a house, these were house churches. Men and women didn't sit, sit together. It, the, they separated the genders. Therefore, a wife was not in collaboration with her husband. The whole setting was already not there. What they didn't, what, what, even in their public gatherings, even in their great, bigger gatherings, they'd have the women and the men separated. So for a woman to speak out, in particular context here, on scrutinizing the revelation that was given, scrutinizing the theology, for a woman to speak out and her husband to remain mute was upsetting the whole creation design where the husband is supposed to take spiritual leadership of the family. Supposed to be, this was a matter of headship, a matter of what we've already learned about the design, about the redemption of fallen creation. That the church is supposed to be the ultimate prototype, the ultimate example of God's repair work between men and women. And how that can work, and how it can work in amazing harmony, and how women and men can bring their giftedness together because we're equally gifted, men and women, but how we can bring our responsibilities in the public gathering of worship and declare and demonstrate the design of God. And the design of God was the scrutiny of the prophets was to be the domain of the men. The men were supposed to speak up and take leadership in the church, responsible for theology as they were responsible in their homes. And so this is a, great, um, a matter of 
church, um, church protocol. And uh, so he lays out all of this. So preserve creation intentions and ministry roles within the genders is very critical. Our churches need to showcase what the world is struggling over. Men and women at odds with each other instead of working in harmony with one another, instead of being the representative of how God has created us. We are not the same. We're not made to be the same. We're not made to do the same things. And the church is supposed to demonstrate that with great harmony and, sh- and showcase the design of God. And then the Apostle Paul ends all of it by saying, and if you disagree with me, it's because you don't know the Lord. I'm paraphrasing, but basically he says, I'm giving you all of this and I'm saying this, spirit-led people welcome this truth. They receive all of this. Not just what I just said now, but the whole thing. Spirit-led people welcome this truth. That's how he ends it. That's how I'm going to end it. Father, thank you so much for teaching us, instructing us, leading us, oh God, in a matter that really matters to you. Um, Our public gathering to lift up your name. This isn't for us to decide how we want to do things so it's the best of what I want, but rather, oh God, what do you want? How do you want us to interact with each other? What, what intentions do you have? What's the purpose and plan that you have for us? That we might not walk out of step with the Spirit, but walk in step with the Spirit and experience the fullness and pleasure of the Holy Spirit of God in our congregation. Lord, that's our desire. I pray that you would help us to welcome, invite the application of these truths that we might come together as a congregation and model the great design of our God. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we affirm that the Holy Spirit is really among us in this way. Amen. Amen and amen. If you have no smaller place to participate in the great things of God and the gifts that He's given to you, the spiritual assets that you have, we have discipling communities tonight. We'd love to have you come and join us. Pastor Kelvin will find you a place to be. And, uh, but I encourage you. Listen, I love you so much. I really love you so much. And I don't want you to miss out on anything the Spirit wants to do in your life to grow you more and more like Christ Jesus, to strengthen your resolve to be people of the Holy Spirit of God. He has given us this great gift. Now let's do our very best to make sure we use it to his glory and for his honor. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord God, we offer to you our amens. We love you. We thank you. We realize that God has given us every promise and every blessing in Christ Jesus, and Christ is the amen of God. And so this morning, O Lord, we thank you that you brought to us your word that we could understand and we can Uh, apply to our lives. May we not be hearers of this only, but doers of this word, O God. For Jesus' sake I pray. Amen.